Hey everybody, welcome back to the Pendulum Show. My name is Yodin. I got my co-host as usual, Bamba, with me. And we're going to doing, be doing a short segment today. Yep. Right? Uh, it's a new segment that we're introducing. It's called... What's Pendulum it called? Express. Pendulum Express. Yes. So, the purpose of the Pendulum Express is to just give you the key highlights of what has transpired in the week. And we're going to be actually timing ourselves on each topic that we're doing. So I think we've picked out about four topics to do today. And we're going to give ourselves five minutes to basically dissect the entire issue at hand. So um, hopefully we don't go over time. But let's try and get right into it. Alright. So Bamba, why don't you introduce the first four topics to us? Alright. So we have four topics today, as you said. The first is the committee voting on the budget that's been going on in parliament this week. Secondly, the Perak crisis, where we have just seen the Menteri Besar of Perak topple. And we also ha- are covering the citizenship round over citizenship for children born to Malaysian mothers, mm. which was also discussed in parliament this week. And finally, the 42 trillion ringgit worth of rare earth metals uh, waiting to be extracted okay, in I'm waiting Kedah. for that one. <laughs> but okay, Bamba, read the headline. And I'll time you. All right. So, first up, we have committee voting on the budget. So, we have from the Malaysian Reserve this week, PN wins again as three more ministries' budgets passed. Another battle is lost, it seems, for the opposition MPs at the Day One Rocket after three more ministerial expenses under Budget 2021 were approved at the committee stage yesterday. So, with this one-third of PN cabinet's budget has been given the green light, and Prime Minister Muhyiddin Yassin continues to seize the political lifeline to his premiership and the nine-month-old coalition that he leads. So the the latest vote was on the industrial trade, international trade, and industry ministry's expenditure, uh, which passed by 110 votes in favor of to 104 against. Mm. So let's start the clock, Yodin. Yes. Okay. Start it. All right. So, I think the first thing we need to clarify, if you didn't hear episode with Bendik Sun from Why Politics last week, there are several different stages of voting on the budget, correct? Yeah. Yeah. So, we first had the second reading vote mm-hmm. uh, last week, which was, was on the budget as a whole. And that passed by a voice vote. The opposition failed to, to call for a block vote where every MP's vote has to be counted. So they just shouted yes or no and the, bu- and the budget passed at that stage. Mm-hmm. Then we went into committee votes. So what is committee voting, Yodin? So the budget essentially will be evaluated on a committee stage or basically evaluated by ministry by ministry. And again, uh, there will be op- opportunities for the opposition to actually vote against. But as what you went through in the first, in the second reading on the pol- policy stage, the budget is zoomed in closer um, to a degree where you'll actually be able to understand where exactly is the money going to be spent on for the next, for the upcoming year. So, for example, in the committee stages that were passed this week, um, specific um, budget allocations were evaluated accordingly, but nonetheless, it was passed on every um, on every committee so far this week. Yeah, and this is imp- th- this is important because this is the the first opportunity really this week for Anwar Ibrahim 
to test his claim of having a strong and formidable majority. So he, he so he claims lah. <laughs> yes. So we all remember the press conference a few months ago where yeah. he said that he wanted to present his list of MPs yeah. to the Yang Pertuan Agong. Mm-hmm. He said he had a majority that was close to two thirds, and uh, the best opportunity to test that was last week when the voting was on the budget as a whole. Yeah, uh, he failed to take the opportunity, mm-hmm. and uh, so he had basically this week to prove himself. Yeah, and what we have seen is that uh, at eleven votes, Anwar Ibrahim has failed. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, it has not even been quite close for the for the first few at least. Uh, Pakatan Harapan only managed to muster 95 votes. Mm-hmm. They would need at least 111 to prove that they have a majority and can form a government. And yet, we have one party, Warisan uh, from Sabah, completely abstained from the first uh, couple of days of votes. Uh, as well as some absent MPs from PKR and DAP as well. Mm-hmm. But the the main issue for him right now is that Amno MPs, none of them have joined him, uh, joined his side when he has come to the block voting this week, and he needs MPs from Amno to switch sides in order to form that majority, right? Yeah. So the majority that he was speaking about was definitely inclusive of Warisan, right? Yeah. At that point, at that point in time. So yeah. now that Warisan has basically in protest abstained from voting, yeah. mainly in response to show that. They definitely do not agree with the opposition party or the opposition as a whole being led by Datuk Sri Anwar Ibrahim. Yeah. Right. So does this majority still hold? I don't think so. I think that all the committees would be continue to be voted. Uh, pass. We will we'll be in favor of Perikatan. I believe. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe not. I'm wrong. But like very controversial. Um. Committee decisions have been in Perikatan's favor so far, particularly um, Jabatan Perdana Menteri. Yes, PM. the Prime Minister's Department. Exactly. So that was one of the biggest uh, controversial parts prior, leading up to the policy stage. Yeah. Right. And if that was passed, and Warisan still continues to actually be in protest and abstain, I don't see why there would be any chance for the opposition, given what the numbers that they're obtaining right now, to actually still. Hold sufficient pressure against the ruling government, yeah. and in efforts to topple them over. Because, like you said, right, the primary option or the the prime the prime time to actually hold the government accountable was at the policy stage. And again, lah, I don't think yeah. that that obviously didn't happen, and I don't think they will be able to achieve it during the policy stage voting and the final third reading. Yeah. Yeah. So. It seems two minutes left, Bumper. Yes, so it seems at this stage that Anwar's claims were all smoke and mirrors. Mm-hmm. Uh, he has he has done this two on two occasions in the past where he has claimed to have a majority, and mm. yet the majority has failed to manifest itself. Mm. And the the rumor is that he asked the opposition MPs for one week to prove that he does have the numbers, and obviously the one week has passed, and he has not proven that he has the numbers. So what's next? It, Uh, in the most immediate concern is that uh, Anwar Ibrahim's days as opposition leader may be numbered based on some of the reports that yeah. that have been out there. But And there have been some polls which suggest that he still does hold strong, um, strong positive numbers at least from the nation's point of view in terms of that he believes they believe that he's the man to lead the opposition, as he believes that he's the one that can unite the opposition. Yeah, could anyone else do this? Do you think? 
I I don't think that there there are many figures. But then again, all the air has, has been sucked out of the room by this one figure who has been basically the leader in waiting for the opposition since 1999. Yeah, and uh, maybe maybe if he moves on, other figures will emerge. Who knows? But more than public opinion at this stage, public opinion matters less than the fate of the the MPs in Parliament, right? Yeah. And he is rapidly losing the faith of of oppositions all across the coalition. Yeah, there was a lot of rage even last week when the op- when he instructed the opposition MPs not to call for a block vote and allowed the budget to pass with, a, with basically a whimper from the opposition side. Mm. And uh, that was basically the last straw for Warisan, lah. I think. Yeah. Right. And uh, so, in terms of the numbers, we currently have 220 MPs in total in Parliament, right? So, two MPs have passed away recently. Mm-hmm. So, two seats empty. A government needs 111 votes. Yeah. At the last vote, they had 110 votes against 104 for Pakatan. Mm. Uh, one MP from the government side was absent, Jeffrey Kittingan from Keningau. Mm. Uh, 30 seconds left. Yeah, so he very likely would, would vote in favor of the government. So they do have 111, but again, it is still very precarious. They're missing. They are. They lose one vote. Uh, that's it for the the government of the day. It's still it's still a precarious position. Uh, but there needs to be unity on the on the opposition side in order to get uh, the numbers that they need. Okay, yeah, I think you summed it up quite well. Okay, great, just in time, Bamba. Let's move on to the second part, shall we? All right. What is the second story? All right. So our second big story this week that just emerged yesterday is that the Chief Minister Menteri Besar of Perak Ahmad Faisal Azumu has been toppled. So from the age markets. Perak MB loses confidence vote. So Perak Menteri Besar Datuk Sri Ahmad Faisal Azumu lost the support of the majority of the State Legislative Assembly after a motion of confidence failed to garner enough votes. Out of the 59 Assembly persons, 10 voted for the motion, 48 voted against. So 48 voted to basically bring down the 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 Chief Minister of Perak, while one abstained. Mm. Yeah, so these the sitting was live stream, mm. and obviously it was not even close. Mm-mm. All right, so I think you can start the clock. Okay, okay, start. I want to ask a question based on this topic. Yes. So maybe a lot of people might not be aware as to this thing actually happening yesterday. Yeah. But why did this happen? What preceded to this um, ousting? All right. So in the first place, Ahmad Faisal Azumu he became the Menteri Besar after the general election as yes. a leader of Bersatu in Perak. Bersatu is has a very precarious position in Perak, where I believe they only have five uh, dun, five adun, five mm. members of the legislative assembly, mm. and uh, Amno has twenty four. Mm. Yet when the whole Sheraton move happened, he mm. was allowed to keep his post as Menteri Besar mm. uh, against the protest of Perak Amno because they felt that they are the largest party. Why didn't they get the chief minister's post? Mm. But obviously there was some deal worked out at the federal level, and Faisal Azumu stayed in power. Mm. Now, since then, the tensions between Persatu and Amno obviously have been ramping up in the past few months. Yeah. There's a lot of sniping between both sides, and Amno refuses to become officially a part of Perikatan. Mm. Now, you just throw in a few more, uh, uh, a few more shocks to the system. Mm. Uh, one would be the Sabah Chief Minister issue. So, where after the Sabah State election, Amno feels that the Chief Minister's post. Was stolen by Bersatu from them once again. Even though Amno had once more, again, yeah, more, uh, had the the better numbers in Sabah, right? Yeah, and also they have had a lot of uh, they have had a lot of 
controversy with Faisal Azumo specifically, where he has been making a lot of appointments without consulting them. He has been uh, perceived to be trying to split Amno by appointing Amno members mm-hmm. uh, uh, to his personal staff. Latest as his political secretary he appointed an Amno uh, branch or division leader, I believe. Yeah, yeah, and so this is basically retaliation from Amno. Mm. Uh, yeah, so that's where how we got to a place where 48 out of uh, 59 voted to bring him down. Okay, but the timing of this is quite um, unique, or is it not, right? Yeah. So basically, it comes in a time when right now, on the federal level, we're voting on the budget supply here, budget and or supply. And although these tensions have been there for quite amount of time, so why did they bring up this no confidence motion now? I think that one one reason is that they are trying to send a message to Barsatu mm. that Amno can still pull its weight. Mm. And uh, other than that, it is quite confusing. Uh, pe- we are not sure w- w- where they were planning to take this next. Like once they have brought down the Menteri Besar, mm. who are mm. they replacing with? Is it somebody else from Barsatu? Do they want an Amno MB? Mm. Uh, and uh, who is going to go along with them? So Amno and BN, I believe, have 25 seats. Yes. In the Perak Legislative yes. Assembly, they need another three at least mm-hmm. in order to have a majority. Yeah. And right now, it's unclear where that that those numbers will come from. Right now, the the acting Menteri Besar will be from Amno, right? No. So Azumu <laughs> stays in in office until a replacement is appointed, right? I thought it, uh, because okay, I think I might have read that wrongly, but. Okay, in order to avoid an election, the Sultan of Perak can appoint someone who can garner the majority. Uh, yeah, right? that's right. That will most likely could be someone from Amno, given the numbers that they have. Yes, that's that's what it looks like. Right. So then, in the event that someone from Amno does uh, become the the EMB, yeah, uh, what is the outlook of that for Perikatan as a whole? Well, I mean, what what we see happening between Bersatu and Amno, I know it's state, I know yeah, it's a state government, yeah. but still, yeah, I mean, what's happening? It, it feels a bit like a a, a wrestling match between uh, between Bersatu and Amno. So Bersatu wins one round and Amno wins another round, right? So when the Sheraton move happened, uh, Amno won in the sense because they got to to replace the Johor Menteri Besar with one of their own. Then mm. uh, Bersatu scored a win by getting the chief minister's post in Sabah, mm. and now Amno has retaliated, and they have uh, they have toppled Faisal Azumu, who is not just the Menteri Besar but the deputy president of Bersatu. Yes. Yeah. So I don't think it's, I don't think we can easily predict where uh, where where this is all where this is all headed. But it does seem like at the federal level, the they are doing damage control where they do not want to topple the coalition altogether mm. because obviously it is on a very unstable footing. Mm. But it does put pressure on the speaker of the Dewan Rakyat, I believe, because mm. in Perak, the speaker did allow a confidence motion mm. as an emergency motion. But at the federal level, the speaker has continually been rejecting uh, bringing forward a confidence motion on Muindin's leadership. And now we can see some uh, members from AMNO pushing for that confidence motion more vocally. Mm. Uh, people like uh, Nasri Aziz, mm-hmm. uh, Ahmad Maslan, mm. and of course, uh, Tengku Razaleh from mm. earlier. So let's see whether the, this pressures the speaker enough to bring forward the confidence motion and mm. uh, how that plays out. Because again, one vote 
they lose one vote mm. and uh, that is it for their working majority yeah 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 you're right you're right we have one minute left all right essentially yeah but there is also rumors or a theory really that this for in the event that someone from amno does become the mb yeah. right but even the act of um creating this no con no confidence motion against um azumo uh, happened could bersatu actually retaliate against uh johor where um their position is amno's position is less precarious yeah. compared to um what it is in perak to actually topple the amno M- the the johor mb Yeah, I think it's very possible even mm. especially considering that the there are some members from Johor from Johor Bersatu who are perceived to be quite close to Mahathir, right? And even the previous menteri besar of Johor who is part of Bersatu's uh block in mm. in Johor, he campaigned with Mahathir mm-hmm. during the one of the by-elections. So it, it is it, so so it is very possible that they would retaliate by bringing down the menteri besar. On the other hand, probably at the federal level uh, uh, the muidin and the leadership like they are probably trying to do damage control they mm. don't want to heighten the tensions more than they are already mm. because the situation for them is so unstable mm. uh, they don't want to throw any more spanners in the work okay so, okay all right i think okay that's the, that's all the time that we have for this segment for this topic so let's move on to the next topic what would that be All right. So, our next story is about citizenship for children born to Malaysian women overseas. Mm. So, this became a row in parliament this week from the Rakyat Post. National security is why women can't confer Malaysian citizenship to children. So, as of 2020, about 40,000 Malaysian women are seeking citizenship for their children. But according to the women uh, <laughs> according to the government rather they can't allow malaysian mothers to confer citizenship to their children born abroad and or foreign spouses because it would threaten national security so this came from the deputy home minister ismail mohammad said who claimed that it was to avoid possible issues of dual citizenship among children born overseas to foreign fathers This is because in his words in other countries most children born overseas will follow their father's citizenship therefore we must be diligent to prevent the child from being granted dual citizenship mm-hmm. All right so let's start the clock Yudin All right let's go I uh, before we start I just want to say so based in the same article from the Rakyat Post according to the UN only 25 out of 195 countries in the world do not allow married mothers to pass citizenship to their children as fathers can And I'm just going to really go through the 25 countries: the Bahamas, Bahrain, Barbados, Brunei, Burundi, Aswatini, Iran, Iraq, Jordan, Kribati, Kuwait, Lebanon, Lib- Liberia, Libya, Malaysia, Mauritania, Mauritania, Nepal, Oman, Qatar, Saudi, Saudi Arabia, Somalia, Sudan, Syria, Togo, and UAE. Yep. So um, I won't say whether we see a bit of a team with those countries. We'll let that. Be on your prerogative. You can let we'll let you decide on what the theme is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the common thread. All right. <laughs> yes. So, uh, let's get right into it. Yes. Mean? Okay. Uh, maybe you can uh, elaborate for us. What are our citizenship laws actually? Why are they so? Why are they so Byzantine? Why are they so convoluted? <sighs> why? <laughs> why? I don't. Okay, I don't know how to answer why. 
I mean, that is um, our citizenship laws um, have changed about the process, rather, like anyway, has changed about twice based on our constitution, right? Yeah, yeah. So, bef- uh, for those who were born in Malaysia before 1957 or before independence, and also there were certain amendments to the constitution that were made after the formation of Malaysia. Yeah. Instead of in 1962, I think it was amended. Yeah, when uh, when we were making the Malaysia Agreement, right? Yeah, yeah. So, um, the process is largely that we most of us are familiar of. It's uh, naturalization or registration. Yes. So, right? what is naturalization? Naturalization is, for example, someone who has been residing in Malaysia over a long period of time. I believe it's about 10 years or so. Yeah. And... They command a strong. Um, they have a strong command of the Malay language, or relatively strong. So that is also a very subjective view, um, or the, a very subjective criteria to f- to follow or comply by. So that is basically naturalization. Registration is definitely from what we all are familiar with. If your parents are Malaysian, you are therefore will be able to receive Malaysian citizenship, right? Yeah, and you are registered on at birth. Yeah, so, yeah. So I mean, there's two different concepts of citizenship, which uh, most countries follow one or one or the other. One is uh, jus soli, mm. so that is uh, by right of 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 the soil. So if you're born on our soil, you have citizenship. That is one concept. Another concept is jus uh, sanguinis, which is by blood, sanguine blood. Mm. And that is if your parents, your is conferred as a as a birthright because your parents are. Uh, citizens of that country and the second is the one which we more or less commonly adopt we rejected the idea that anybody born on our soil can have citizenship and uh, okay that's not too uncommon because it's mostly in america in the in the western hemisphere yeah you have this uh, right of the soil mm-hmm. uh, but we have made it exceptionally complicated to decide who qualifies and who doesn't so for example if your if your mother is malaysian and your father is a foreigner yes uh, if you are born in Malaysia, yes, you have citizenship as a birthright. So, uh, Malaysian mother, foreign father, born in Malaysia, you are a citizen. Yes. But if by your bad luck you are born overseas to a Malaysian mother and a foreign father, mm. you do not have automatic right of citizenship. So that is what is at issue here. Yes. Why this disparity? Because if you are born to a Malaysian father here or overseas, you do have citizenship, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. And honestly, I, I do not understand why this restriction exists. The argument is apparently for national citizen for national security reasons and the fact that in most countries, uh, dual citizenship is allowed. Right, right. right? And therefore, by allowing um, the fathers to confer their citizenship status to their child, if you are born overseas, would prevent uh, a case where dual citizenship um, would occur and of somehow the argument will also translate into national security although I don't know whether the argument really does hold uh. so I mean considering that in most countries like you just mentioned only 25 countries don't allow citizenship to pass through the mother in these circumstances yeah so say a Malaysian father and a foreign mother alright mm. so they have a child uh, most countries allow you to pass citizenship through the mother so there would be a case of dual citizenship there anyway, mm. correct? Mm. So it it is no different on whether uh, you confer it through the mother or the father because other countries allow it through both. 
So yes. you would have dual citizenship. This dual citizenship issue it would arise uh, regardless. regardless. This, this restriction yeah, yeah, does I not agree. Uh, does not amount to does not have the effect that is intended to have. Actually, yes, yes, yeah. So I, I, I honestly don't know what is the point of actually keeping to this regulation or this policy. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, it it seems like a holdover from a from a earlier time. Yeah, yeah. Where it seems very very colonial, and yeah. Right. Colonial and you know like oh, we don't like to talk about like patriarchy and stuff like that too much, but um it 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 goes back to a time when a a woman is just merely an extension of her husband basically mm, mm, mm. right she does not have it, it goes back to a time when women did not have rights as uh, individuals on in their own but regard. This, but this this really does happen only when you are abroad born abroad right? yes yeah so why why that distinction exactly it, it makes no sense yeah. If you're born here, you could still have dual citizenship. Yeah, yeah, and I I think that they they want to keep it, this restriction, but they don't know why they want to keep this restriction. Mm. That's what it feels like. They don't really have a good answer, a good argument. Mm. But my question is, do you think that there will be political will in the near future to change this? Because it is at the level of the constitution, mm. we have very rarely been able to amend the constitution in the past twelve years, mm. uh, because no side has two thirds majority in order to amend the constitution. So, and mm. I think that the last amendments to pass were on automatic voter registration yes. and uh, voting and for eighteen year olds only yes. eighteen. But yes. on this issue, do you think that there is the support? To 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 amend the constitution to allow mothers to confer citizenship. Hmm. Um. I. I believe so. I think otherwise it would really be quite hypocritical. And I think in the same article it stated that essentially that the constitution is contradicting itself because there can be no discrimination based on gender. Yeah, that's right. part of the constitution, right? Yes, exactly. So, but what what do you take from that? What I take from that is one part of the constitution is contradicting another. I mean, a lot of our constitution contradicts uh, each other, uh, different parts of the constitution. For example, mm. freedom of religion mm. is guaranteed in the constitution, mm. yet there is in effect uh, not no freedom of religion for the majority of Malaysian citizens, right? Mm. Mm. Who do not have the right to choose their own religion. Mm. So, in the same way here, one constitutional provision wouldn't invalidate another constitutional mm. provision. So, mm. it does need. To happen in parliament, it does need to be amended through the legislative process. Yeah. But what I am interested to hear is what women on the government side, women MPs, and uh, you know, like our women minister Rina Harun. Yes. What is their take on this? Do they agree? I think they should make a stand. I think they should make a stand for sure. I think. I mean, um, I think we even discussed that they are tabling uh, other bills as well. Are they preparing to table? Um, the bills on making stalking a crime, and they are fighting for more le- legislation that would actually protect women and also create more equality in the country itself. So I think there would be strong political will. I think it can go hand in hand in the other bills that they are planning to table in parliament yeah. itself. So, in given the fact that what you just said, which is essentially automatic voter registration was passed, right, and it will be gazetted next year, um. I don't see why that trend should slow down at any point right now. So as long as it's being brought up and more people take a stand and I think eventually it will go through because the arguments 
against um, allowing women to confer their citizenship, especially since it only really applies if you're born abroad, really doesn't hold any water. It doesn't make any sense. La. It's like you have to tick a lot of boxes. Yes, exactly. You know, Why? This provision, Why? Why this level of bureaucracy? It makes no sense. Yeah. <sighs> okay. I think we extended uh, slightly over our five-minute rule there, but it's a very interesting topic, so let's allow this exception. All right. Right? So, we'll go on to the last and final topic. Okay. So, our last topic, which I know that all of you have been waiting for, the, 40, <laughs> <laughs> the 43 trillion ringgit worth of rare earth minerals waiting to be mined in... This in is Kedah. the actual budget, I'm telling you. <laughs> yeah, so... Kada, as I saw online, Kada is about to become Wakada. <laughs> <laughs> Wakada forever. Wakada. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Please elaborate, Bamba. All right. So, the the headline of this article has been uh, amended for the obvious mistake, which I'm sure all of you have spotted by now. So it says rare earth elements. This is from the Rocket Post, right? Rare earth elements to be mined in Kada worth up to sixty-two billion ringgit. Mm. And in the sub sub headline, it says not forty-three trillion. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so Kada Menteri Besar Muhammad Sanusi Muhammad No announced that the state has signed an agreement with a KL-based company to mine for rare earth elements. The element is said to be worth up to sixty-two billion ringgit and was found in Sikh. Ulumuda and Baling, the Sikhs have it there. So, <laughs> according to Muhammad, this mineral has been common knowledge to geologists for the past 20 years, but big secret among the geologist community that did not share it. <laughs> However, the MB mistakenly announced that the rare earth is worth 43 r- trillion ringgit while flashing a giant smile at the press conference. <laughs> quote, he said, and quote, God did not grant this mineral in all states. There is some in Perak, plenty in Kada. This mineral, according to studies, is worth 43 trillion ringgit buried beneath our soil. <laughs> oh my uh, god. And you know, this was reported in all the the sort of government mouthpieces like Haraka Daily, which is the, the past newspaper, mm. uh, also reported this with no, with no check on this amazing figure, 43 trillion ringgit, which is larger than the economy of the United States almost, I believe, right? Or, uh, or very close to being larger than the economy of the United States. Yeah, so later clarified it was only 62 billion ringgit. But yeah, do you want to start the clock on this? Okay, let's go. Alright, so uh, why are rare earth elements so uh, valuable? Mm-hmm. Uh, basically, these rare earth uh, minerals, you need mm. them in trace amounts in mm. a lot of consumer electronics or other electronics in general mm. uh, i i'm not a, a big expert on this but you know basically like things like your iphone depend on on rare earth minerals for some small components mm. but critical to the functioning of most modern electronics mm. and the global problem that we have is that most of the supply of these rare earth elements mm. is in china Okay. A vast majority is in China. They basically had a monopoly on these rare earth elements. Mm. And so, if China, if if tensions between the US and China escalate, for example, or or if anybody cheeses off China in in general, right? Uh, Malaysia is the second avenue. Yeah, yeah. They can use this to. They can cut off the supply, and that's a that's a national security threat, a real national security threat for a lot of countries. And so, a lot of uh, Western corporations mainly have been trying to. Fu- find mine rare earth minerals in non-Chinese sources. One of them is Linus. So Linus is, they mine rare earth uh, minerals in Australia. Mm. 
And this generated a huge controversy because they were sending the waste from this process to be processed in um, in Pahang, mm. right? And the thing about rare earth minerals is that the process of mining them is mm. extremely uh, destructive to the environment. It's mm. not an environmentally friendly process. Mm. The waste material is also can also be very toxic. Mm. The type of mining they do these huge open pit mines that leave a massive scar on the landscape. Mm. Yeah, so that is why it is in general uh, not a very popular thing to do to to start a rare earth mine in in Western countries where people are more conscious. Mm. Of these kinds of things, mm. yeah. So it is a big deal. Like if if these minerals are available in Kedah, but obviously, um, forty three tri- trillion is <laughs> yeah, okay. Fine, that was otherworldly mistake. figure. It was mistakenly read. Yeah, but yeah, like you said, big deal, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, it is a big deal, no doubt. But again, this really needs to be verified. I do not really trust that the Kedah state government has uh, verified this. This yeah, okay, that's fair. Yeah. So, I mean, if this was known about or common knowledge amongst the uh, community, the geologist community, mm, yeah, right, for 20 years. Yeah. So, again, right, why now? Yeah. Did they find a massive reserve out of nowhere? It doesn't seem like it. I'm. He says that they have known about it, but nobody, basically, it seems that nobody has wanted to actually go out and mine it or apply for the leases and licenses to mine this mineral. Mm. So, uh, you think that... Could this actually be Mm. a shout for FDI to come in? Foreign direct investment? Maybe, maybe. But the fact that it hasn't so far, right? When this is basically more valuable than gold and diamonds at this point. Mm. And yet no foreign conglomerates have expressed interest. There is a KL-based company that wants to mine it. Mm. Uh, leaves me very suspicious that there is actually anything there. So, if <laughs> basically, if someone else other than a KL-based company or another foreign company could verify this, then it might be an even bigger deal, right? Than yeah. Than it is right now. Yeah, hold your excitement, guys. <laughs> okay, la, fair enough. It's not about to become the economic powerhouse of, of uh, the country. I do not think that's, uh, that, that's on the cards yet. Mm. And another concern is that... Uh, the places you mentioned, this mineral could be the the sites could be in forest reserves or protected areas. Mm. So one is the environmental assessment mm. uh, of of doing this mining there. Are they going to rush it through? Because what you see in the past is especially in the the poorer states, mm. um, like sub like um Sarawak, mm. Kedah, Kelantan, they tend to extract their natural resources, do logging and things like that uh, because they are looking for sources of revenue for the government. Mm-hmm. And so they they have less regard for environmental protection. Mm. Yeah, so there needs to be a, a strong process mm. to, to make sure that that doesn't happen here. Right, right, right. Maybe, I mean, obviously during this pandemic where every state also would need as much resources available to them that they can get or extract from. Maybe the maybe the state of Kedah is trying to find this as a potential avenue for future reserves anyway. Yeah. Right? So, okay, let's wait for verification on this so-called super mineral that they have found but known about for the last 20 <laughs> years. <laughs> right? Yeah. Okay, I think um, we have digested it um, fairly well. Yeah. It took us five to seven minutes or so. Um, Do you think, Ayodin, mm. that actually the there is a whole uh, state in Kedah which uh, has been hidden from the world by use of this mineral to shield and cloak? Like, oh. 
Oh, like it's like within the jungle. Yeah, within the jungle. There's it's another. St- it's right. another kingdom. It's a pseudo state yeah. within Kedah. Yeah, yeah. And at this point, right, I literally have to believe anything. <laughs> I, I, I have no reason to actually deny this claim, right? Yeah, Do you yeah. Have any evidence to suggest you, otherwise? Yeah, you have no proof that this is not the case. Is exactly. I mean, like, who is who? What is what? I know. So I think like our next mission from here is to go out and find Wakanda. <laughs> I mean, Wakanda. <laughs> <laughs> okay, if anyone right. is listening to us, please aid us in our mission to find Wakanda. <laughs> <laughs> and please, yeah, let us know in the comments <laughs> on your findings. Yes. Uh okay I think that's the all the time we have for today. Thank you very much Bumba on enlightening us on the events that have transpired this week and hopefully we'll see you next week again we'll do a similar brief or debrief on the issues that did happen next week. Um so until then thank you very much for listening. My name is Yodin. I'm Bamba and we'll see you next week. <laughs>